I went to a marvelous party. Most people don't even know the facts. The underlying ideas don't have enough depth to last for an entire season. Christopher, this is only going to work if we speak one at a time. Fine, you first, Eric. Sunset Strip in beautiful West Hollywood, California. It's the Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn, the internet's first live comedy variety show. Featuring special correspondents from the worlds of entertainment, politics, and lousy relationships. Everyone gets served. Tonight's live cast is streaming to you through the dinnerpartyshow.com with your hosts, New York Times best-selling novelists Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. Good evening, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and you're listening to the live cast of the Dinner Party Show for January 6th. 2013. Tonight, we will not be talking about Logo Quiz. Not because it's not a great app and not because we don't love it, but because we're afraid if we start talking about it, we'll start playing and forget to do tonight's show. Also not being discussed tonight, Calvin Klein's former boyfriend, Nick Gruber, who was in a dramatic car accident a few days ago. Why was it so dramatic? Did he sing a song from Lamez? I don't know. We're not talking about oh, it. But right. he did escape with only minor injuries, but after totaling the $100,000 BMW of his current boyfriend, John Luciano. But before you go praising our high-minded journalistic ethics, please be advised of the real reason we're not discussing this story. Gruber and Luciano both live in my apartment building, and I don't want them giving me attitude in the lobby. There's the drama. Mm -hmm. We will not be talking about what Senator Mitch McConnell or House Speaker John Boehner think about anything tonight. We want to show respect for the offices they hold, and we think it's high time they did, too. It's going to be two terms, guys. Let's move on. Mm -hmm. Also not being talked about on tonight's show, Fantasia Barino's bizarre rant on Instagram in which she insisted what? that no one should judge her personal choices because gay marriage and marijuana use are legal now in several states. And what would the Bible think about that? <laughs> if the Bible could think. We have just one question for you, Fantasia. Who the hell puts a rant on Instagram? And we will not be talking about how much Kim and Kanye's premature pregnancy announcement might have cost the Kardashians or how much the New York Post mm -hmm. might have paid mm -hmm. them for an exclusive because this and pretty much everything else about these people makes us sick. Mm -hmm. America, we know you can do it. No one ever talks about the Palins anymore. Mm -hmm. Stop paying attention to the Kardashians and they will go away. We can do this. Okay, then. Everything else is still on the table. And tonight. in the oven. On tonight's live cast of the dinner party show tonight's dinner party show will be better than we thought it would be because our provocation comes from the shaman of positive thinking lyle duet author of the bestseller bad luck is your own fault and reverend of the church of the positive mind let us envision our best selves tonight let us try to avoid the kind of negative thinking that is bringing the misfortune and hardship plaguing so many. Let us look to our leader, Oprah, who, unlike all the other overweight black women from Mississippi, was able to elevate 
elevate herself to a place of wealth and influence through the power of positive thought alone. Let us aspire to achieve all the dreams we cut out of magazines and pasted on a piece of poster board and hung on the refrigerator. Let us avoid the fate of the starving who are not imagining a steak dinner hard enough, of the unemployed who are not thinking about getting a job often enough, and of the meek who do not take time to remind themselves of just how the earth will look on them when they inherit it. Let us say together, I am so omnipotently powerful that I have caused all the bad stuff in my life and will use that power to realize all my fantasies. If I fail, it is because I am not visualizing my abundance and I deserve whatever fate befalls me. Thank you and keep thinking positive. Dude, that guy was a prick. You know, I think that's kind of how positive thinking goes. It makes you a prick? I, that's been my impression. All, I, right, all I, right. That's sort of the promise or the secret. The secret. That's, oh, the my secret. God. Those people are so mean-spirited. It's the blame the victim school of positive thinking. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, I, I guess I'd never heard it spoken aloud before. But I, apparently with the secret, you get cool stuff if you make a poster board and put stuff on it. Well, like, that's what he was promising. Well, I don't have not yet. Uh, but Taylor you, Laudner has yet to come to my house. So right? my vision board is not working. But that means you're not thinking about it often enough. I see. It's your fault that Taylor Laudner's not at your house. I see. I and, you see. know, he could be there. We're not there currently. All right. Well, welcome back to the Extra Judgment edition of the Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Derek Shaw Quinn. We're returning to our regular format after our two wildly popular holiday specials. Happy New Year. It's good to be back. And I think we're actually in Kwanzaa season now. We talked about Kwanzaa some on the... I think it's actually Epiphany. Isn't tonight Epiphany? I, I, I think they're simultaneous, and I think really? they're not so remotely connected. Epiphany and a Kwanzaa are... are a Kwanzaa. Epiphana Kwanzaa is is actually what it's called. um, Oh, holidays are so confusing. Absolutely. Well, we have a very special guest with us this evening, my very good friend, Jack Morrissey, who is the... Your special friend? He's a special friend. I thought he was imaginary until he showed up tonight and you could see him too. Right? So he must be real. Or we're both, you know, drinking the same tea. Absolutely. Or Kool-Aid, as it were. Uh, Jack runs the Team Jack podcast, which comes to you via the Kevin Smith, I want to say this wrong, the Smodcast Network that Kevin Smith runs, and uh, he is here to talk about all things film because he describes himself as a full-time film freak, and so we're going to talk about a lot of things, specifically the fact that Texas Chainsaw 3D tore it up at the box office this weekend, much to everybody's astonishment, $23 million. You know, I'm just amazed that everybody is upset that Texas Chainsaw Massacre 28 3D or whatever it is was derivative. Yeah, no. Like, what were you expecting? Yeah, absolutely. Um, We have a very special report from Breck Artery, however. I hear he was uh, local this week and uh, went to the West Hollywood Library. Politics is local. Think think globally, act locally or whatever it is. Yeah, Absolutely, and make a Kwanzaa vision board. I just thought I'd wrap up the entire segment with that sort of, you know, deranged line of thinking. All right, let's hear what Breck has to say. TDPS News takes you live to Breck Artery at the West Hollywood Children's Library. Breck? 
This is Brick Artery coming to you live from the Children's Reading Room at the West Hollywood Public Library. This seems an appropriate spot to discuss the outcome of the mythical fiscal cliff faced down by the mythical leaders in this country last week. Here in the Children's Theater, one day in the not-too-distant future, children will be regaled with heavily illustrated stories and puppet shows about how the brave elected civil servants in this country faced down the big bad financial crisis they themselves had created. According to their fable, if the magic words weren't uttered by the intractable obstructionist party by the stroke of midnight, the whole country would turn into a pumpkin, or at least outtakes from a Mad Max movie. Of course, that turns out to be as fictional as the bravery of those same spineless obstructionists who also last week couldn't muster the guts to vote to send disaster relief to those wiped out by Hurricane Sandy. But that's not fun, so let's get back to our tale. The story goes something like this. Once upon a time, in 2011, when the obstructionists refused to pay the bills on the debt they themselves had run up by refusing to raise the money they needed to pay the bills or to stop spending like a bunch of drunken fools, they got out their sabers and rattled them very loudly until they forced everyone to agree to a magical spell they called a sequester. The sequester spell, they said, would magically compel all the evil, spendthrift politicians who cruelly wanted to pay the bills and stop running up huge debts instead to make drastic cuts in all the wasteful government programs that the obstructionist party was refusing to pay for. The obstructionists believed that everyone was evil who was trying to run the terrible country the obstructionists loved and wanted to dismantle instead of governing, as the foolish citizens had hired them to do. Instead, the obstructionists believed they should be actively working to destroy and overthrow the awful, terrible government that was preventing everyone from being rich and happy. They hoped one day to bring an end to the United States by drowning it in a bathtub to save it. This they called patriotism. Really, no kidding. They still do. Go figure. Anyway... So, when Republicans and Democrats who only wanted to govern could stand the obstructionists saber-rattling no longer, they fell under the spell of the sequester. Then, an amazing thing happened. The obstructionists realized that there would be political consequences to drowning the stuff that people really love about the country in that bathtub. They were afraid that they might lose the jobs they had gone to so much trouble to get working for the federal government they hated so much. Yeah, I don't get that part either. Anyway, what will we do, said the obstructionists? How will we destroy the government the people love without getting blamed for it, or worse, fired? And then a magical plan occurred to them. They would refuse to drown any of the government at all and insist that everyone else take the heat for the destruction they were too craven to carry out, even though it was pretty much all they talked about to bend those who kept asking the obstructionists for suggestions to their will, the obstructionist invented a prophecy. Oh, no! They foretold of a terrible, mythical cliff that the whole country would fall off if everyone didn't do what the obstructionists were too chicken shit to do themselves. At the stroke of midnight, on the last day of the year 2012, they warned, if the world hasn't ended on the 21st, you, and by that we mean anyone but us, must have completely wiped out all the debt that we, the obstructionists, have run up. Or, at 12.01 a.m., January 1st, taxes will rocket up to the levels they were during the greatest sustained economic expansion the country has ever known. Apparently that was a bad thing. <laughs> 
Worse yet, the evil and unstoppable sequester will take all the candy from all the children in the country, end all the social programs, and disarm the military. The lights will go off, and Christmas will be cancelled. If I could do an evil laugh, I'd do one here. Suffice it to say, there'll be a mustache-twirling puppet to do the laugh by the time the traveling company version of this show makes it here and to children's theaters around the country. Yeah! But the evil voters would not be swayed. They cold-heartedly insisted the obstructionists actually say what they would do to save all this money they were insisting everyone else cut from the parts of the government that the voters loved. But the obstructionists were nothing if not pig-headed, so they stood their ground and lost and lost and lost. <laughs> Still, they would not decide, and they would not let anyone else decide either. They just kept telling the same story over and over. So as the clock ticked nearer and nearer midnight on that fateful New Year's Eve, everyone had become convinced there really was a cliff and we really were going to fall. This is the part where the media puppets will scream in terror really loudly for a really long time, kind of like that saber-rattling thing from earlier. Closer and closer the cliff drew, and more and more people believed it was real. Wealth was lost, hiring was postponed, investments weren't made, houses went unsold, and real damage was done to real people. Oh, no! And then, at midnight, at the stroke of twelve... Nothing happened. Instead, they just voted to postpone the deadly sequester for a couple of months. Who knew they could do that, right? Some taxes were raised, rich people got huge breaks on investment income, and the folks who were actually trying to run the government and not destroy it managed once again to do so despite the brave obstructionists' best efforts and fairy stories. To be fair, we're probably going to have to work on the ending when this becomes a puppet show, as children are apparently a much tougher audience than cable news watchers. But there's always a sequel. Have you heard the one about the fall of the deadly debt ceiling? And that's pretty much where we came in. It's like Wagner's ring cycle, but longer and less fun. Here's hoping that, if we can't get rid of the obstructionist, that they'll at least hire better writers and come up with a better story. Till next time, this is Breck Artery wishing you happily ever afters, good night, and good dinner. Yeah! You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. The Dinner Party Show will be the judge of that. I love that story. But do you love that song? Oh, my God, yes. That's my favorite radio whore song, or one of them. It's right uh, up whoa, there. Whoa, whoa, back up. Radio whore? Uh, yeah, you know, like all those songs that you used to, like, it's not really the case anymore, but back in the day, every all, you heard all the songs on the radio, and if you wanted to change the channel, you could, but really you just learned all of the words to all. There were songs that I absolutely detest that I know every single word to. Right. And that was actually pretty, that one's pretty fun. What was, was that, that other one? That was when she was Debbie Gibson, right, before she became Deborah Gibson. Oh, did she become Oh, yeah, Deborah? later in life she became Deborah Gibson so she could do very serious movies on the Sci-Fi Network. It's actually that, a lie. I don't know if she's ever done anything on the Sci-Fi Network. How did that turn out for her? Well, actually, no, she did. She did a Sci-Fi movie with Tiffany that I think was called something like Arachnaconda or something, 
or it was anaconda versus some other swamp creature. Somebody who's listening will know the answer to this question, and they should post it. Buffy Peterson, if your pizza isn't there yet, go look it up for us online. Um, and there was literally a line where Tiffany and Debbie were rivals. Like, one was a developer and one was a scientist. And there was a line where Tiffany turned to Debbie and went, I think we're alone now. Oh, that's brilliant. That Did Tiffany change her name to something more? Tiffany? <laughs> Tiffany. 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 Well, this is supposed to be the serious current events section of our broadcast. I was pretty serious about that. I would like to know what's going on with the two of them. Right. I think it's a very serious question. Absolutely. It certainly is to them. uh, Yeah, absolutely. Everybody's worried about where the next paycheck is going to come from. Uh, we posted on the Facebook page earlier today that Eric Shaw Quinn had a pretty impressive story that he was going to review during this segment, which is, really? what is it, Eric? Yes, what, we did. I posted it on Facebook when I was you were, say, you know, doing your hair and your uh, nails uh, that's for the right. show. I, I didn't, I, I was this we thing. I'm not so sure that I know about. Yeah, um, I was really, like, I have really been impressed with the the pendulum swing that seems to be happening in this country since the election. There seems to be... You know, like the country feels less hideously conservative. I, I think it's great for there to be two sides to things, but for the last 30 years, I just feel like we've been just getting bashed and bashed. Anyway, one of the things that really tipped me off to that was that in the last elections, there were four measures, historical measures, where gay people were actually voted to have civil rights. There had been like 30 in a row or something where they'd put it on the ballot, including here, that hideous, hateful Proposition Mm. 8 thing, um, where they put it on the ballot and people voted for us not to have equal rights. And it was hurdy. It was icky, you know? Like, I didn't feel like I was part of the, when President Obama first got elected, Mm because Proposition 8 had been voted in, and I would go to the grocery store and think, God, do half the people here hate my guts? Like, what's going on? Anyway, so that's... That happened in the election. So on January 2nd mm-hmm. in Annapolis, Maryland, one of the states that voted to give people, you know, the same rights as all Americans. Did I say gay people? I meant to. The same gay, gay people. people yeah. The same rights as all Americans. Um, or just the two of us is fine. They were going, we as long as we yeah, have equal right, rights um, as each other. Anyway, they were going to get married. Right? It was the first day they could actually go, I don't know, get the licenses or mm-hmm. go to the courthouse. And so the mean, horrible, hateful um, people from the Westboro Baptist Church in wherever the fuck, Kansas, uh, also showed up to say, to shout horrible things at people going to get married, you know, like you do. Mm-hmm. And that happens a lot, but um, like one of the horrible things she was shouting was that God had sent the shooter to Newton, Newtown or whatever. Right, Newtown, Connecticut, yeah. To, as to punishment punish because yeah. gay people could get married there. Anyway, um, so... What happened was from the St. Anne's Episcopal Church down the street and from the local high school, a bunch of people adjourned and went to the courthouse to shout the people from Westboro Baptist Church down and say, you know, go away and stop being so mean or whatever they said. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I'm loving seeing this shift. And there, there, there was even a petition, a petition started on the mm-hmm. White House website right. to have – the Westboro Baptist Church declared a hate group. I don't know what that means exactly, but and that's that's the question that but I kind of have. What does it mean to classify someone as a hate group? A hate hate in general, when it's used as a legal term, hate crimes, hate group, it gets it, it wanders into the area of obscenity, right? The obscenity is a, a definition that professors of any sort of legal course love because it's one of those things where everyone says, "Well, I know what it is when I can see it." But is there a universal or universally applicable definition of 
of obscenity. And is there one of hate? Because the, the Westboro Baptist Church is a great example because I think everyone pretty much agrees they are a hate group, right? Well, they're certainly hateful. Right. Absolutely. Um, the question that I have is why do we not, in a legal sense, consider what they do to be a form of assault? And why, why is it not prosecutable along those lines? Because assault is defined, and, and you're actually the person who taught yeah. this. I used to believe that assault and battery were the same thing. Assault is a verbal act in which there is no physical contact in which the verbiage that you use gives a very legitimate impression to the other person that they are under physical threat. That with some ver slight variations, I guess, in code from state to state, that is essentially the, the legal definition of yeah. assault. And I believe... I have always felt this deep in my heart, and I've never found a real legal expression of it or, or the right legal words to give it expression before now, that if you sincerely and thoughtfully tell someone you believe that they are going to hell, that is an act of violence. It really is. It's an act of violence against another human being. And, and, it, and I don't understand why we can't begin to consider that and the signs that they carry by themselves to be a form of assault. I, I've always felt like we should begin to look at the irrational hatred of people you've never met because mm -hmm. I mean I assume that it's human to hate somebody who's been mean to you or shot your dog or stolen your wife or something you know I I don't I try not to hate people but I think that's human but to irrationally hate a whole group of people you don't even know right that sounds more like mental illness to yeah, me like right. I, I think we should respond in a caring way to people and say okay honey hand me the sign it's time to you know sit down on this soft chair and talk to somebody right. about what your father did to you at wherever Baptist Church and I know right absolutely like, it seems like that would be a place to begin with reacting to I just don't understand why that seems like it's okay uh, right and and I mean I think what we have is a situation where the majority of people believe it's not okay but they see any really rigorous attempt to restrict it or to curb it and I'm including the Supreme Court in this which recently ruled in favor of Westboro Baptist Church and said that they could picket funerals um That's is nice. that we feel that any any attempt to restrict what they're doing is a restriction on speech and I, I'm intrigued by the idea of rather than coming up with a new classification such as a hate crime, why not refine the definitions of the crimes that we already have to begin to include acts like what the Westboro Baptist Church does? Why not begin to consider it a form of assault? Why not begin to go deeper into what we consider to be – here's, here's where, where hate crime experts are really sort of trying to fall down on, on the regulations. They believe there is a type of speech out there where third parties like operators of websites or god forbid shock jock talk radio show hosts uh -oh. are trying to incite other people to violence with a constant barrage of language that says so and so is destroying your country so and so is destroying what you believe in so and so is doing this and this and this and what they're leaving just in the margins of what they're reading on their show is go get him you know they believe that that should be an actual crime too so I, I don't know it's a fascinating topic and maybe one that we don't you know we could spend a whole show on but we at the dinner party show would like to encourage you not to go out and hurt anyone you know pretty much ever if you can avoid it we I, think that's icky absolutely we would like to encourage you to be challenged by ideas other than your own we certainly are on the show lean back lean back
Exactly. You'll get less on you. Exactly. And I also love the idea of making of taking away their tax exempt status. I think yes, and I that's another that, petition in front of the White House as well. That 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 to me seems like like it's fine if you want to have free speech, but I don't think you ought to get religious protection for that. Absolutely. Like if you, I don't think religious organizations ought to be involved in political discourse. And right. if they do, I think they ought to be involved at the level that everyone else is. Absolutely. We had some people on Facebook weigh in on this topic. William Berna, I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly, said, certainly Westboro Baptist Church deserves to be classified as a hate group. They also deserve to be banished and horsewhipped. <laughs> We're not encouraging horsewhipping. No horsewhipping. Um, uh, Jessica Manion, I'm sorry if I mispronounced your name again. I'm just going to stop apologizing. She says she hopes they do get classified as a hate group. And a lot of other people were asking uh, more specifically about the free speech issues surrounding their picketing in general. Should they be stopped from doing that or should they simply be classified as a hate group? So it's a fascinating topic. At least for our listeners and us. At least for our listeners and us. Right? Maybe we can get out there, I don't know, sign that petition. Absolutely. Well, that concludes the hors d'oeuvre section of the evening. Now we have a word from a new sponsor. Delicious. Would you like a a cocktail napkin? Wipe your lip, Eric Shaw Quinn. I think we've got a new movie sponsor in the house. Oh, excellent. From Sony Pictures Classics, Focus Features, The Weinstein Company, and Proton Street Films comes the critically acclaimed award-winning first film from director Bernays Patel, a film which received honorable mentions at the Nantucket, Naugatuck, and Northumberland Film Festivals, a film that has now been given an almost incomprehensible trailer. I don't know why I'm riding this bus, but I feel compelled to stare out the window and to reflect on my great disillusionment. Look, children playing. Are they mine? In a country that might be France, or possibly some Eastern European nation decimated by the Cold War, which may or may not have something to do with this story, a beautiful woman who wears no makeup but owns many tasteful scarves has come to question everything she believes in. I am a doctor, but I I don't believe in medicine. I am a woman, but I don't believe in menstruation. There is a man in her life somewhere. He is handsome and smiles right now very briefly in this shot, but you aren't quite sure who he is, and given the rapid cut back to the main character riding a bus, it's clear you won't be given any more information. Probably because this is a foreign film, being marketed by one overworked publicist who graduated from Sarah Lawrence just last year. And now, more piano. This fall, possibly, or maybe later this year, comes A European Woman, starring a new, possibly French actress every fashion magazine will be shoving down your throat in just a few months. Richard Baxter of Movie Magazine hails a European woman as rapturous. Never before has a woman riding a Spartan European inner-city bus and gazing out the window as she reflects on we're not quite sure what seemed so ripe with meaning and emotion. The only thing better would be if she went on a long bike ride at some point, and she does several times. I am tired of this bike. We are at the beach now. I'm smiling, but not laughing like the others. 
Who are these people? The trailer has not made this clear. Are they my children? I don't remember having children. Children upset me. I'm so beautiful. Why isn't everyone doing exactly what I want? Stop, everyone. It's time for me to play the piano. This fall, possibly at that small local art house theater that's a long cab ride from home, the one you only go to when you're trying to impress a date with a master's degree, comes a European woman. We're not going to tell you what it's about because we're not quite sure anyone knows. here with the real dirt on what the constellations are up to and how you can read the signs before they read you. Get out of that china shop, Torres. Well, it's New Year's. Time for resolutions. This year, why not let your astrological sign be your guide to making resolutions that will make 2013 a truly happy New Year? Here are some helpful ideas direct from the stars to you. Vivacious, energetic Aries. This year, channel all that energy in a new direction. Resolve to think of others instead of yourself. Use all that get up and go to get out and help someone else for a change. Taurus, you are a sign of irresistible willpower. How about use some of that strong will to push back from the table before dessert and to remind yourself that gravy is not a beverage. And just for a lark, see if you can't resolve to keep your pants zipped this year. In short, use that willpower on yourself rather than everyone else. Ah, Gemini, life of the party. How about shut up and listen this year? Sensitive, intuitive cancer. Stop taking everything so personally and lighten the fuck up. Dynamic, seductive Leo. Run out to the farmer's market and pick up a bushel to put over that light. It's blinding the rest of us. Let someone else on the stage for a change. Virgo, the heaven's perfectionist. Honey, no one's perfect, least of all you and the rest of us are sick of your expectations. How about resolve to set perfectionism aside in the new year, or better yet, until you're perfect. Now, Libra, you know you always overcompensating to try to balance the world around you. Give yourself and the rest of us a break in 2013 and take responsibility for that dizzy spell you call a life. How about leave the world to balance on our own for a change? Fiery, passionate Scorpio, stop trying to control others and give controlling yourself a try this year. Industrious Sagittarius, so many plans, so little time. In the new year, strive for focus. How about doing one thing at a time? Or better yet, just getting one thing done, period. You spend more time on the sidetrack than the track itself. Maybe this year you could give pulling into the station a whirl. Capricorn, everyone knows how hard you work. God knows you tell us about it often enough. Give it and the rest of us a rest, huh? It's like my mother always said, get off the cross, Mary, we need the wood. Inspired, mercurial, creative Aquarius. It's easy for you to resolve to make the world a better place, but this year, how about surprise us all and work on a little self-improvement? And finally, selfless, nurturing Pisces. Oh, that's all the time we have. Till next time, this is Twine wishing you the best new year yet and reminding you to watch out for the stars. 
The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. Soup's on. And now as part of The Dinner Party Show's commitment to keeping our listeners in touch with other popular internet radio shows and podcasts on the World Wide Web, we bring you a sampling of one of the top gay male-oriented podcasts on iTunes, Hot Talk with Justin and Jake. Hey, what's up? Welcome to Hot Talk with Justin and Jake, the hottest talk about the hottest topics with the two hottest guys in the hottest city on earth. I'm Justin. And I'm Jake, yo. What's up, bro? You're listening to our podcast, which you can find archived on our site at www.justinandjakearhot.com. Also, that's where our blog is, Hot Stuff with Justin and Jake. We just posted some really rad new workout photos on the blog, so you should check them out. Also, special shout out to our loyal listener, Lu Chen, who is like from Japan somewhere, we think. Anyway, thanks for your like hundreds and hundreds of emails about our last workout photos. We thought you were a spam bot, but then you sent us a picture of you in Superman underwear, and now we know you're real. Anyway, Jake and I have had a big talk about it. Yeah, we talked about it a lot, like... There was a lot of talking, yeah. Right, right. Anyway, so we talked about it a lot, and we've decided for now to keep the underwear on. But we thank you for your substantial cash offer, and we hope you'll keep listening to the show. Also, we don't want to live with you, so you can stop asking us that, too. We're currently working as physical trainers in Los Angeles, which means our loss would be deeply felt in our community. Thank you, Mr. Chen. Sayonara, dude. Yeah, Benihana. Thanks, Mr. Chen. And please... Please allow us to state at this moment in time, unequivocally and without repudiation, we have absolutely nothing what? against the adult entertainment industry. We feel strongly here totally. at Hot Talk with Justin and Jake that the gay porn industry is an important part of our community that teaches young gay men they can realize their sexual dreams. As long as they're, you know, like, hot. What? What? Well, what do you mean? Why, why are you saying it like that? Like, you mean like a gay guy has to be hot to realize his dreams? No, that's not what you said, dude. What, what did you say? What the hell are you saying at all? I was saying that we're hot. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah, we are. Totally. Okay, cool. We're we're, yeah, cool? yeah, we're totally cool. And we're hot, too. <laughs> okay, okay. Anyway... Last time on the show, we talked about politics, and we really feel like we covered it. So we're not going to talk about politics uh, for, like, another year. Yeah, totally. So basically, Bummer. like, all you need to know for now is that every four years we vote for president. Uh, again. And then somebody gets elected president. And that's, like, kind of it. Like, honestly, we feel here on the show that people are so overwhelmed with political information right now that it's keeping them from doing other things. Right. I was so distracted at the white party last year. <laughs> oh, I just thought you were high. No, I was meditating. I'm a Buddhist now. Oh, well, we should talk about that on the show. Not yet. Why not? I haven't finished the book yet. That was a year ago, dude. Oh, yeah? How's the Hunger Games going, bitch? Uh, whatever, Santa Monica college boy. <laughs> More fucking colleges than you went to unemployed physical okay. trainer uh, who just got fired uh, from uh, Christmas. Uh, all right, that's enough. Chill, chill. Okay, um, 
Obviously, the stress of doing this show once every three months has really gotten to us. So maybe it's time for some viewer mail. Yeah, okay. So on the last show, we asked our listeners to respond to a vlog. That's short for video blog. We posted this vlog about my forthcoming tattoo sleeve. Here goes. Cool. Okay, a listener from Chicago writes, You bitches are so stupid. Stop talking and have sex. That's all anyone wants Um, you. Okay. You probably shouldn't read them if they're going to be like that. Well, they're kind of all like that, so I guess we're not doing listener mail. (laughs) Okay. Moving on. We've asked for your submissions for the hottest guy of the century. Unfortunately, a lot of you are stupid, and you're nominating people we don't like. For instance, Dan Savage. Boring. Yeah, whatever. Being an activist is great and all, but we feel if you're going to be talking about sex all the time, you need to either look like Matt Damon in his Goodwill Hunting days or us. So sorry, no, moving on. Yeah, sorry, dude. It gets better. So we've basically ignored your nominations altogether, especially the ones that were all about, who the hell is this guy? Did Videl Sassoon have a brother named Gore-A? <laughs> who is that? No, dude. These emails were about Gore Vidal. Who the hell is that? He's dead now. Well, was he hot? I don't know. He's dead. Well, there are hot dead people. Can we move on? Well, you can't blame me for thinking he was Videl Sassoon's brother. Yes, I totally can. Why? Because if they were brothers, they would have had the same last name. Gore Vidal's last name was Vidal. Vidal Sassoon's first name was Vidal. Uh, uh, Okay. Um, (laughs) Clue phone. Uh, uh, All right, whatever. We have chosen to ignore all of our listener nominations for Hottest Gay Dude of the Century. And reality. And we have awarded the title to every gay man who has ever been a cast member on The Real World. Shout out. Exactly. Allow us to explain our reasoning. Before MTV's The Real World... All the gay guys who were on TV were, like, on TV for creating art or helping people or gay rights or writing something that was really long. Anyway, the real world really threw open the doors for gay guys who were just, like, hot and not really anything else. Excellent. Honestly, if it hadn't been for these guys... I probably would have stayed in the closet longer because so many hot girls were into me. It's true. But the gay men of the real world really made it safe for guys everybody was into to come out of the closet sooner without feeling like they were missing out on a bunch of cool shit. So thanks, dudes. Thanks for blazing the way. Yeah, you're totally amazing, especially that Danny who still has a restraining order on Justin because um, he was Facebook stalking up, you. Dude. Like seriously. And he really, like, you lift okay. it now because he's been chatting on Grinder okay, with this that, hot guy who lives in your right. city and he uh, wants uh, to- Alright, shut up! Why do you always fucking ruin our podcast? What is wrong with you? I don't know, biatch. Maybe it's because I went to Santa Monica College so I could major in something besides barfing at the Abbey, you dumb You slut. just hate me because Lance Bass thinks I'm cute. He wasn't even looking at you, you whore! This has been a sampling of Hot Talk with Justin and Jake. To hear more scintillating exchanges like this one, just walk through your local gay neighborhood without listening to your iPod. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. And now it's time for The Soup, brought to you by your perpetually victimized gay brother. I will have you know that I am writing a play about all of you. The Dinner Party Show. Keep listening if you've got the stomach for it. 
Well, I'm Eric, and this is Christopher. Remember us? Yeah, and those two guys were tools. Are we going to have them back on the show? Uh, they're your friends, They're man. not friends of mine. I just went and looked at other gay-oriented podcasts because I wanted to get a sampling of what's out there. How do you there. tell what's a gay-oriented podcast? Well, our show is for everyone, first of all. Yeah. Uh-huh. I was having an <laughs> argument with myself. I'm sorry. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show, which Eric Shaw Quinn already told you. Our guest is here, Jack yeah! Morrissey of Hi. Team Jack. Yeah! And I get all <laughs> I those th- children th- if I do really, really well. <laughs> <laughs> Have Billy put them children. in the trunk of my car. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think? Cookies. <laughs> <laughs> After all, it is for a gay audience. And as we know, all gays are child molesters. Absolutely. And that angry mob goes on for a really long time. I'm going to remember that <laughs> the next time I had that key. This reminds me angry. of how we met. I like to tell people how we met. You sent um, me a message on the internet uh-huh. and said, please send. Uh, you said, I am the partner of director Bill Condon. Please send me photographs of you in various costumes. That is not um, true. A Boy Scout or Eagle Scout, as we call them, legal scouts. Um, and, and then we, our relationship just took off from there. And it was really it's it was true. A, one of my eternal friendships. What were you going to do with the photo? Are you putting together an album of some sort? No, what, he actually, what he actually sent me was... Um, thinking, thinking. No, no, no. What he actually sent me <laughs> was exactly what I wanted, even though we didn't know each other, which was a photograph of... Chris in just his uh, Eagle Scout sash. <laughs> and I've never Art- been an Eagle Scout. Artfully huh? placed. I am an Eagle Scout, actually. Artfully placed with all his merit badges and skill awards Absolutely. all lined up. That was probably Absolutely. from some pageant. No, I, um, you, you, uh, we became friends in the days of AOL. We were sending emails back uh, and forth. That's America Online. I still yeah. have an AOL address. Eric still has I, an AOL address. Because yeah. you've got everything is connected to the address, and you, it's more trouble to get rid of than it's worth. Right. Like, I have 12 other addresses. on. I've got one at thedinnerpartyshow.com, but nobody ever sends me anything there. Well, it really comes down to uh, which address you use when you're subscribing for your pornography well your online i have a i have a dedicated address for that and what is that address oh Eric? no 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 that's, Come on, daddy. That, that's the only address yeah i'm not going on the air and give out email addresses no I think. but you should at least give something so which address is it <laughs> he's hijacking our show i knew it he's the, got his own podcast we, he thinks he's all that the address we give out on the show is eric at the dinner party show.com yes and you can send me all, right. all the pornography you want that'll work just fine Porn Pornography or death threats, either one, depending on what we're talking about. That's why we have an email. Absolutely. Talk about your podcast before this just goes completely off the rails into porno town. The missile is spinning off target like North Korea. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That's what we call the show. That's the dinner party show. It is the Team Jack podcast, right? It is. Yes. It, you are you are the host, and you have yes. that guy. I have been a guest. Is he the on team or just the host? He's the. Are you the whole team? He's I'm a co-host technically. And hang on, I have to do one thing. Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, is that is that it? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> that was hot. That's really nice. I had to, I had to uh, snort and then swallow. Okay. Cut, getting over the uh, getting over the London London to Heathrow uh, to LAX you congestion went to London. What were you doing in London? Christmas and New Year. Okay. Oh, yeah. 
that's too bad. Tough break. At Sir Ian McKellen's house. Why not? Wow. It's a gay-themed podcast. Wow. Go ahead. I hope you both are wearing steel-toed shoes because I'm here to drop those names. Let's Very drop impressed. the names, baby. That's Ian McKellen's hot. house. Yeah. Yeah. Was it Hobbit Sanity 2011, 2012? Sorry, I dropped a year off the calendar. <laughs> or maybe it was just Gods and Monsters. Yeah, exactly. Revisited. No, yeah, the party was not titled. The party was not titled. <laughs> McKellen Palooza. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was good times. It was good. You're you're very very old friends with Ian McKellen, dating back to Gods and Monsters, which is 15 years old this year. God, Absolutely. I love that movie. Yeah. Is it really? Yeah, been he sort of stayed uh, stayed very film. present in our lives. As a 70-something-year-old single man who still has a, a, um, a very strong, I would say, uh, childlike component to his personality. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. sort of a, he's a very, very interesting, complex guy. And I would think that would contribute to you who can see he is it as in an his actor. Eyes. That, that, that lithium, that youthful kind of yeah. enthusiasm about He's still stuff. a little... His mom died when he was about 10, oh. and I think some part of him locked off right around that time. Mm. Not unlike, I think, J.M. Barry, mm. who had that early childhood trauma. Some part of Ian has never grown up, which I think enables him to do what he does so beautifully. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. remarkable. Yeah. The Gods and Monsters, for those who don't know, and you should know about this remarkable movie, your partner Bill directed and wrote it, and he won an Oscar for Adapted from the novel Father of Frankenstein by Christopher Bram. Exactly. A homosexual novelist. A homosexual novel, and it gets even gayer. When when Bill won the Academy Award, he turned around and kissed you, his homosexual lover, which at the time was not quite as common. No, and ABC could not cut away from that kiss <laughs> fast enough. <laughs> they broke literally three when you watch. If you watch it, I don't know where or how you would watch it, but you, it's it's frames. Really? Oh yeah. Really? Oh yeah. yeah. It's they were out of that, and I would say two to three frames. Right. They were out of that in under a second. Would they be now? You think? No, I think gradually the the Academy Awards have become the the Tony Awards. Right. Right. Yeah, I, thing. Well, they always were pretty gay, but yeah, I get. I think that it's like what we were talking about in the segment earlier. I don't know if you listened to the show before you I came in, but in that whole your sense red of room. Mm-hmm. Yes. the the things the, you know, the pendulum swinging away from that insane kind of very conservative bent we have been on for thirty years since yeah. Reagan got elected. We've been right. on this kind of steady conservative train, and I think we're. I hope heading back in the other way, just to a middle ground. I don't want to eliminate there being other voices, but it would be nice of if we could not. sort of share the stage. Absolutely. Yeah. You're listening to the Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Derek Shaw Quinn. Our guest is Jack Morrissey of the Team Jack Podcast. We have a quick word from. Actually, it's not a word from our sponsor. It's one of our regular specials, Pedestrian of the Week. It's probably not quick. And then we will be back <laughs> in the studio at the How dinner pedestrian table. Pedestrian will will it be. We'll see. I can't remember who the pedestrian of this week is. Very exciting. cross your finger. <laughs> Pedestrian of the Week! And now it's time for the Dinner Party Show Pedestrian of the Week. From time to time, we like to take a moment to recognize those individuals who inspire our awe as they go about their day-to-day routine. When such inspirations strike us, we here at the Dinner Party Show like to take a moment to make special mention of those bipeds, 
undaunted by traffic or even traffic laws in their ongoing efforts in the field of public roadway self-expression. This week, we pay special tribute to the intrepid liquor store patron who dashed across six lanes of heavy traffic on Olympic Boulevard to avoid the delay of walking the extra 50 feet to the corner so he could get home to his tall boy while it was still cold. Well done, sir. Yours may be a short life, but it will not be a thirsty one. What are you looking at? Um, we're back in the studio and at the dinner table with our guest, Jack Morrissey. What up? Lee, who is twittering furiously to all of his twihards want, who are listening I in want tonight. Twihard Nation. While yes. Jack is here, I want to offer him the job as being our official dinner party show expert. We would like for you to just sign on to be, so when we need an expert on, you know, pretty much anything. Yeah, absolutely. That you just come on the show to comment sure. on whatever the hell it is. But sure. talk to us tonight well, about- hopefully this will not be my last appearance. Although it does occur to Let's me that how it goes. we need Eric Shaw Quinn needs his first appearance on the Team Jack podcast Absolutely. in the episode Absolutely. that will be titled, even though we hate to get ahead of the narrative <laughs> of life, my best friend, Christopher Rice. Because when Christop I was on, I spoke so much of Eric when I was a guest on Team Jack we titled that, that episode, my best friend, Eric Shaw Quinn. My That's favorite right. title ever. I wonder why. <laughs> I wonder why. But talk to us about Team Jack is actually a team of people. It's a team of social it's a 29, media. It's a 29 twihard uh, Twitter team that runs the at team underscore Jack Twitter handle. Mm -hmm. uh, it was formed by uh, a woman named Sharon Twy between a woman named Liz Lem Liz Lem and Bennett and a woman named Tracy Olson. Uh, some of these names may or may not be real names. Okay, I was going to say Liz Lemon. Wow, that's a coincidence. Shame. Okay, Liz Lemon Bennett. I see. They're hiding in shame behind their fandom for all things Twilight, and uh, I think with all three of those women, fifty, they're all moving. Or have moved, I should say, in the past tense, uh, very firmly into Fifty Shades of Grey territory. Oh, okay. 
All right. Well, that love was them some the porn. fan base, right? Yeah. A, a significant percentage of the Twilight fan base, I would say, is moving into fi- in, into Fifty Shades of Grey. Not well, all of them. And if I'm not mistaken, Fifty Shades of Grey was born Began as, Twilight as a fan Twilight fanfic. Okay. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, something I knew absolutely nothing about two years ago until the aforementioned Liz Lemon Bennett educated me and told me back in the early days of my friendship with her that she'd had a friend who had written this Twilight fanfic and that certain studios in town were starting to circle it. And uh, I I believe she's listening. I should probably apologize to her on air and just say, like, I remember very clearly those early conversations and kind of going like, ugh. Right. Right. She thinks she knows the business. Or she's <laughs> telling me about some friend of hers who is some close friend of hers who is getting interest from those movie studios out west. And, of course, that woman turned out to be Erica Leonard, who was E.L. James. Right. Wow. wow. Yeah. You know, there's something... Who I've become friendly with regardless and is a wonderful of person. Any, oh, yeah? any literary opinions that anybody has about anything, there is something tremendously exciting when any kind of work breaks out like that. She is in selling sort of books. In a completely independent way. She is selling books in bookstores. Right. In airport bookstores. Oh, yeah, it's a phenomenon. Yeah. Is it, yeah. they, as a result of that book... They republished some gulp erotic novels my mother wrote many years back under the right. pen name A.N. Rocolar, and they did phenomenally well. Did they, because they did were, they do Fifty Shades style covers for if those? If you liked Fifty Shades of Grey, check this out. Now, right. the books are somewhat different, but the books are sadomasochistic erotica. Right. They're about bondage and surrender, and I'm never reading any of them. It's my mother. I don't care. I'm. You Does know. this include Exit to Eden, or did she write that under her own name? Exit to Eden was written under a different pen name, Anne Rampling, and it's being brought out or reissued now. Okay. Uh, but this was this last year when the Fifty Shades thing was at its peak. I don't know. I just think I, everything about the whole self-publishing world is incredibly exciting to me. Yeah. I think the stigma is gradually well, sliding a, off of it's it. It's a part of what fueled our inspiration to do this show was moving, trying to be a part of this wave, this sort of I, I call it the rise of content. You know, right. where the mm-hmm. people who are producing the content have more say because the We've been at the mercy of the distribution of, people of for all content. these years. Yeah. 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 It's so completely changed. And what's left anyway of the giant have you all seen the um I'm totally riffing off here, but have you have you seen the teaser poster for the new Joe Kaczynski movie Oblivion starring Tom Cruise? No, I have not. He's on a little he's on a, a small mound in the foreground, not unlike, say, Richard Dreyfus in Close Encounters, mm-hmm. looking at Devil's Tower, Wyoming in the distance, but in this case, Tom Cruise, the tiny figure in the foreground, his back to us is looking at the remains of the Empire State Building in Manhattan mm. and another New York City skyscraper and a waterfall cascading down between the two of them. Oh, right. I have seen this. This is set in a, in a future America that has the surface of which has been abandoned. Isn't that kind of what you think of the, the traditional publishing houses these <laughs> I, days? And I, certainly the traditional publishing, yeah. book publishing business has just gone to seed, hasn't it? It's It's been upended, I would say. You know, I, I think, think, don't it, you think that's I think fair, it is at a time it's been upended. That, yeah, you guys are both novelists. It is, it, is a, it is an industry that has remained firmly rooted in the 19th century for my right. entire life. And it's the 21st century. And I think that... I'm hoping that what happens is that they wake up and realize that it's the 21st century and and become what I think the marketing force that they could be to help authors out as opposed to this sort of – um, gatekeepers, gatekeepers exactly. that they have been right. that have done more to maybe restrict authorship than than right. to in, engender it. Right. 
It's a very interesting time. I, I think, you know, I not to be political about the people that I'm currently working with, but you did, Eric, several books at, at Simon & Schuster, yeah. And I'm doing another book at Simon & Schuster, and I did two previously, and I think they are getting the message over there. Carolyn right. Reedy, who runs I, the company, is a pretty smart woman. Of. She is somebody yeah. who has real respect for writers. Absolutely. One of the remarkable things about publishing is how few people I have encountered in the publishing business who care about writers at all. It's exactly right. the same thing in the movie business. It's How so few people yeah. in the movie business genuinely are concerned or um, have any have any real affection for movies in general, let alone the ones that they are actively working day in and day out to get made right or in order to pay their mortgages yeah. buy their vacations etc yeah, etc et i think it i wouldn't say most people in the movie business don't care about movies right but i think perhaps as with publishing i'm i'm obviously almost completely not knowledgeable about publishing but with the movie business it is safe to say that a great many of the people who get involved in the movie business or the entertainment industry in general get involved for a multitude of reasons mm-hmm. absolutely and a great affinity for the specific thing, whether it's recorded music or movies or uh, network television, is not necessarily at the top of the list. Right? No, no, Absolutely. I think it's probably for, for their uh, involvement. They're, they're lawyers yeah. and Harvard MBA graduates exactly. and that sort of thing, and they're looking at it in a much exactly. more business. And I think that there have to it's be business people and involved. Yeah, you know, and they want to sleep with the with the help, but yeah. um, but there's also, not, not but I think it is a surprising help. number of. Of people in all in in probably all businesses, I'm always struck by people in people oriented businesses like the people at the DMV or the people in you know who are dealing directly with the normal public, people who, who, who work seem normal to hate, jobs who seem to hate the public like oh and I you see. think why are you in this job you don't yeah. seem to like people at all and it's it it is the same sort of phenomenon in 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 entertainment or in publishing or whatever yeah. where you think you don't seem to really like us very much maybe no, a, this isn't the business a measure for you. of gentle contempt absolutely yeah. we will be talking more about the film industry when we return for the dish which is our next serving here on the dinner party show but in the meantime Jonelle Sams our relationship expert is back always something to teach us that mm-hmm. It's time once again for the Dinner Party Show's Homemade Relationship Advice with Jonelle Sams. Hi, this is Jonelle Sams with Homemade Relationship Advice. If you have a relationship question, you can send it to me care of the Dinner Party Show's Facebook fan page or at jonelle at thedinnerpartyshow.com. This week, I'd like to take a moment to sing out the praises of those unsung heroines of the successful marriage, the mother-in-law. Our listener writes, Dear Jonelle, my mother-in-law, signed, help me. Now, I know it's always been easy to take pot shots at mothers-in-law. Many wives feel that they must live up to the expectations of the woman whose baby boys we are taking. Likewise, many husbands feel that they are never quite good enough for their mothers-in-law. But how often do we take the time to see it from the mother-in-law's point of view? Hmm? My husband, Merle, does live at my house, not his mother's. Well, it used to be his mother's, but now, well, you get the idea. Anyway, Merle does not live with his mother anymore. Though, to be fair to us both, Merle spends most of his time over at his best friend, Olsen Lee Pugh's house. And you know what? Miss Sams and I were able to bond over that very fact. Merle's been spending 
every free moment over at Olsen since those boys were in high school. It like to drove her crazy trying to get Merle to do his chores around the house or show up for family events. Every time she turned around, Merle was over at Olsen's, and when he was home, he was upstairs, locked in his bedroom with Olsen. <laughs> now, Merle and I have been married for 22 blissful years, but it may come as a surprise to you that it was a little bumpy for us at first. One of the biggest bumps we hit was Olsen. Night after night, Merle would call me late from Olsen's to say he wouldn't be home that night if he remembered to call me at all. I was at my wit's end after a few weeks of this. One night, I was so upset, I went out to the apartment above our garage where Miss Sams lived, and I said, I thought I just could not take it one more night, that maybe I was done, that I was not cut out to be married. Well, Miss Sam sat me down, fixed me up with a box of Kleenex, a cup of tea, and a side of Jack Daniels. She listened to my tales of woe, and then she told me something that I have never forgotten. She said, Jonelle, honey, if you leave my baby Merle and break his heart, I will hound you out of this city and make it my business to turn the rest of your life into a living hell on earth. I have spent all my days raising up that boy and unloading him on somebody else, and now that I have, do not think for one minute that you can toss him back into my lap and run off with some Lothario from the bowling alley and shack up in some blissful trailer park love nest without a care in the world. He'll always be my baby, but now he's your husband. Deal with it. Her threat and constant presence at the end of our driveway encouraged me to stay with Merle long enough to realize just how lucky we both were, both the Mrs. Sams, that our Merle was over at Olson's, leaving us in peace. <sighs> I miss tea with Miss Sams. We lost her some years ago, but every now and again, when I'm feeling blue, I go out to the garage, get in the car, and drive out to the trailer park where she lives with that hot Latin man she met at the bowling alley. We share some tea and JD and a few laughs. We raise a toast to Olsen, the best babysitter we know. So the next time your mother-in-law is getting under your skin, just remember she had to put up with your husband for a long time before you ever came along. She wants you to take good care of her baby so she don't have to. Till next time, I'm Jonelle Sams with Homemade Relationship Advice. If you have relationship questions, write to Jonelle, care of The Dinner Party Show Facebook page or to jonelle at thedinnerpartyshow.com. Put the kettle on, Miss Sams. I feel a road trip coming on. The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. The dish is served. And now, here to give us the latest in her continuing adventures in the world of exotic travel is the Dinner Party Show's very own travel consultant, Tanya Lee Musgrave. Welcome back, Tanya. Let's hear about your latest trip. Well, I don't, I don't know how exotic it was. See, my widowed friend, Mr. Donald Drummond, and I, we just went to San Francisco. I hear that can be pretty exotic. Oh, I'm not like that. See, I've got no problem with gay people. My oldest son, Ladaryl, I used to dress him up like a girl before he went to school oh. every day till he was 15 and oh, could fight uh, me off. Okay, was this some sort of educational thing? Oh, no, indeed. See, Ladaryl was so handsome from such a young age, all the other girls used to gather on the front porch and follow him to school when he was just a little boy. Well, I couldn't have that, you see, no? so I put him in some kind of Daisy May type <sighs> getup, what with the pigtails oh. and a checkered shirt I tie off in the oh, front, then the girls dear. would leave him alone. How old was he when you uh, started this? Oh, I don't know, about six or seven. 
Lord, woman. Will you try raising the best-looking boy on the block? I couldn't have one of those girls getting knocked up on the way to school. They were six, Tanya. I used to be a six-year-old girl, sir. I know what they have on their minds. Kittens and rainbows? Uh, we were in Texas, sir. Try mortgages and marriage. Okay, then. Well, back to your trip to San Francisco, the city by the bay. Well, let's not go crazy. We weren't there for very long. And why was that, Tanya? Well, we didn't have time, see, because we wanted to be back in Dallas by the time our favorite program started up again. Couldn't you just record them? No, we like to watch television live. Live, huh? What What are your favorite shows? Well, sir, we are proud to have joined the reality television <laughs> generation. I see. So, uh, Dancing with the Stars, that kind of thing? No, Mr. Donald Drummond, he's a big fan of the show called Crab Pants. Oh, so, like, World's Deadliest Catch? No, 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 sir, that's another program. Crab Pants is where they put crabs down people's pants, and the person's got to get them out in a certain amount of time, or else they take their kids I, and hide them. Yes, or, and lot, is this actually on television, or just something that happens in your neighborhood? Where the same hell do you think I live? Dallas. Well, that's correct. Are you trying to make some kind of point? My point, Tanya, is that Crab Pants is not a live show. Like most reality shows, it's taped edited together, broadcast at a later date. So I'm not sure why you had to race I, home I to watch it. You know what I mean, sir? We like to watch them at the same time everyone else in the country is watching them because it gives us a sense of being connected uh, well, to those few areas of our great nation that lie outside of Texas. Yeah, we're hoping traveling does that for you, Tanya. I'm, I'm sorry, but you live in central time zone, so you're not actually watching the show at the same time as the rest of the Sir, country. you are overthinking this. I think you're cutting your trip short, and it's making for some disappointing visits to our show, oh, to be frank. is it now, smarty pants? Yes, now, I don't mean to be rude, but it's my understanding that the show is actually paying for you to, to go oh, on these ex little excursions. But y'all are. Look, y'all send that check every month, and I just spend it on the dogs. Mr. Donald Drummond has got all these miles saved up from a bunch of old trips well, to Thailand he won't talk to me about, so he takes care of I'll everything. Bet. Not your little radio show, for Christ's sake. So don't you get all uppity with me, what with your Richard Lionheart hair and your big city way of talking. You're from Dallas, Tanya. It's almost as big as L.A. Are we done? Sounds like it. Because you're already back at home watching crab pants and we haven't heard a word about San Francisco. So I don't know. Are we done, Tanya Lee? Allegedly. I went to San Francisco, sir. Allegedly. Allegedly. Mm. Our ticket said San Francisco International Airport. Our taxi cab had the word San Francisco written on it. But the rest of the city was nothing but a big blanket of fog. And well, where I come from, fog is something that collects on the pond in the morning and then burns off by 11 a.m. And this whole damn city was just lousy with it, I swear to God. Well, fog can be kind of romantic. How many times do I need to tell you, oh, sir? Oh, Jesus! Mr. Donald Drummond and I are friends and nothing more. I used to be in a walking club with his wife. She was a nice lady before she died. And then she wasn't a nice lady anymore? First of all, the only person I know of who thinks fog is romantic is Jack the Ripper and he's long dead and they didn't even know who he was when he died. So there. Second of all, Mr. You. Donald Drummond and I do not do romantic things together. We travel, enjoy nice meals and occasionally play bananagrams together in our pajamas. We are friends and nobody wants to Banana be stuck grams? with their friend in some cold gray city where you can't even see all the guys people everyone back home has been warning you about. All right, so no romance and no gay people. Got it. What did you guys do? Well, the hotel had pay-per-view. Oh, 
Tanya, come we on. a lovely movie about a round little child who found a big magical door, and when he opened it, all these talking Tanya, Tanya, you g- always watch the movie everywhere you go. Maybe you didn't hear me before, sir. The whole damn city was covered in fog. That doesn't mean you couldn't go outside at all. How are we supposed to get around? We're not bats. If the choice was between watching a nice little film about talking deer in our heated hotel room or stumbling through the spot where we think Union Square might be like two lost souls during the rapture, I'm going to choose the movie about talking deer, all right? And I don't need your lip about it. So is the flight long enough for a movie? You want to include those movies in your I travel report, do too? I believe you are insulting me, sir. So the whole city, top to bottom, nothing but fog. Yes, sir. Well, did you get home in time to watch Crab Pants? I most certainly did. It was a wonderful episode. Well, Tanya Lee, I must say, the world just isn't your oyster, and you don't seem very upset about it. I don't much care for oysters. I don't like the texture. Suit yourself. You seem tense. You should get out more. Yeah, to the movies, apparently. I give up. Good night, y'all. Travel safe. Whatever. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. And now it's time for The Dish, brought to you by your mother, Mistress of Guilt. (sighs) That's okay. Go ahead and step on my foot. Why would I need to walk anywhere? I haven't been anyplace nice in years. The Dinner Party Show. Keep listening if you've got the stomach for it. Just because you can talk doesn't mean you should. Jump in the ID at the dinner party show. It starts with a gasp, and then Eric Shaw Quinn laughs, and suddenly we're on the air. It's our musical episode of the dinner party show. We're back at the table with Jack Morrissey, the inventor of Grindr, um, who is currently... What's up, yo? What's up? Um, we were talking earlier Gangsta. about publishing. My mother has chimed in on our Facebook page and says Fifty Shades of Grey has made so much money for Random House that they gave everybody a bonus. That is wow. true. Yeah. Good absolutely. for her. And you uh, said you hefty met bonus. her. I did. I spent two evenings at hers, as the British expression, wow. British expression goes. E.L. James, hers. the author of Fifty Shades of Grey. Yes, we're at talking hers about in now. London. How was it? Um, is she fun? She's really terrific. Yeah, she's very... Unbelievably down to earth. Um, she's got two teenage boys and an Irish husband who's uh, hilarious. She does all their laundry. Oh my god! Wow. Yeah. I mean, she's a, she's. I think she's as surprised as anybody. What do the boys the think of her reputation as? The boys are not dissimilar from Bruce Kinsey, Alfred Kinsey's son, <laughs> as depicted in my partner's movie on Same. Also a great Who is film. sort of all they've of not read it, but they don't want to know from it. Yeah. I think there are little... I hear ya. There are yeah. little... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we got another... <laughs> I, you know, I, I was instructed that I was not allowed to... But back to me. I was instructed that I was <laughs> not allowed to read the beauty, the Sleeping Beauty books until I was 21, and then 21 rolled around, and I tried, and I made it about three pages and thought, you know what? This is some great writing, but she is still my mother, so... Right. <laughs> they'll probably do that for a while. Although, what I've heard, I haven't read the Fifty Shades of Grey trilogy. I've heard the first book is light on the bondage, and then in the second and third, it starts to get... It starts to get well, a for anyone heavy. who for anyone who just thinks that it's so-called mommy porn or straight up porn, it's it's like I started reading it finally on the flight over to London, and I'm you know five, six, seven chapters in, and there's no aside from the first encounter mm-hmm. in, a, in an elevator, which was fairly G-rated. There's no sex, hmm. so it's it's like as I said to her. 
at the dinner table, actually, with her kids sitting opposite me. That's nice. It's like if this was <laughs> that's our if Jack. it is porn, you take you take the DVD back. Right. If you were like if you were thirty minutes in and no action. Right. So it's a romance, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's anyway. more. It, yeah, it's more. The porn is up here. It's in the, the gray erotic. matter it's rather erotic, than yeah. 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 I discovered recently, which I I had been aware of it forever, but I had never sampled any of it. This huge genre of of female writers writing male on male romance novels. That's and interesting. It it is a genre that's been elevated or made more prominent by Amazon and online publishers, where where it's you know easier to self publish and that stigma goes away. And right. some of it is very well written. I mean, some of it it was like these girls know what they're talking about. Mary, Mary <laughs> Renault is done my the favorite. Research. They've Speaking done of the pornography, research. They have their they've friends. They've gone to XTube and they've, right. they've put in the hours. <laughs> well, I'd always heard that. I'd always heard that the big silent audience for gay porn was straight women. That the big silent yeah. audience for queer as folk, for whom Eric did several right. novelizations, yeah, was they, straight women. Women right. were watching that show. That was their number one audience segment. Okay, no I'm going to have to shift gears here for a second because I've, we've been talking about this all evening. And that's it. I'm, I'm all through. I'm, a, no, I'm astonished by how much money Texas Chainsaw 3D made this weekend. Well, there's a segue, huh? I, right. <laughs> well, do you want to tell that Oprah story? <laughs> I, they're literally twenty-three million dollars for a movie that was probably budgeted around eight to ten million. We're saying. One yeah. to three uh, audience members are reporting in exit polling. I love that this movie is getting what presidential elections get in terms of exit polling. Do they do that for every movie? Exit yes. polling? Okay. Cinema score is uh, is happens on, I believe, opening night on Friday night for every major studio release. Okay. Well, that makes more sense. Um, we and just, it's actually meaningful. Well, one in three of audience members say they went to see the movie because Trey Songs is in it. And I'm the, I'm the say, third guy. I, yeah, don't know who that is. I don't know who, who is he is, that? but I've seen some publicity photos, and he is he's he easy hot? on the eyes. He's very hot. Uh, he's a, a music musician. I think he did a duet with Nicki Minaj recently. Maybe some people who are out there listening will chime in on Facebook with who Trey Songs is. Right. I, I'll warn you if you haven't seen Texas Chainsaw 3D, this conversation may get a little spoilery. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> how do you? Really? How could you possibly spoil Texas Chainsaw Massacre at this point? Well, as one critic put it's it, it's in 3D. Ah, ruined it for you. Well, that's what a lot of people are jumping around about. They're saying that the 3D is not that good. That there's only a few times where the, the norm chainsaw for releases comes at out. This level. Though, right. Although they're saying Final Destination did a better job of using the 3D. Splitting hairs. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. But I'm I, $23 million. It had the dubious distinction of being the first movie of this year to open wide. Zero Dark Thirty doesn't open wide until next Friday, the 11th. Right. There's um, a movie to talk about. That is a remarkable movie with not a chainsaw in it. Um, and there was a movie that died this weekend at the box office in its first expansion. What was it? What was it? I just saw it on my... Oh, it was the Matt Damon movie, yeah. uh, Promised Land, about fracking. Really died. It wasn't to wide release, it but it was expanded. $700 a screen. It was really poor Matt Which Damon. means, arguably, it does not go wider. Okay. Wow. Yeah. When you, if, if you can't make it in your first expansion, are you going to continue it? Are, you know, are you going to get more expansions? I, I, I wonder. I saw. I read a uh, review that uh, uh, 
Aaron Sorkin wrote of the movie, and he said, and it is so typical, it so often happens with the movies, he says, this is not a movie about fracking. I think that's killing the film. Nobody wants to see a downer film about fracking. That that that's completely not, that's a background of the movie. I forget his comparison. He said it was a movie about fracking like Jaws was a movie about fishing, I think was what he said. Mm. It's a romance between Matt Damon and John Krasinski. That it misses. Well, that would definitely get, and there's frontal male nudity. That would that'll fill the theaters at least in the directed by Gus the milliseconds until I get to see Matt Damon and Michael Douglas get it on in that HBO movie about Liberace. You have no idea how which was not shot as an HBO movie or was it? I think did HBO end up with it? Somebody said that it was too gay for for commercial for commercial release. I think that was Matt Damon. But Matt Damon actually said. But was it perhaps financed independently and HBO was literally the the Who last distribution possibility after every studio in town turned it down right. as an acquisition, I don't know. Or did HBO take the project after every studio in town had turned it down for actual financing and pay for it? That's, That's the question, is who's question. paying for it? They're paying for the, the normal heart. Right. Right. What did they pay for this? I don't Absolutely. Know. I don't honestly our listeners know the don't care. Well, we have another word from our sponsor, <laughs> and when we'll be back, I will once again be trying to make Eric and Jack talk about Texas Chainsaw 3D. Well, what do you want to talk about? I'm, well, I'm mildly obsessed with the franchise because I've never been able to work up the nerve There's to see them. There's chainsaws. Spoiler alert. I will, when we come back, I will tell my Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 story. That's the 80s uh, Toby Hooper story. Oprah is not in it. Well, then we don't want to hear it. But we only like your Oprah story. We have an exciting new board game company that's bought advertising on our show. Let's hear what they have to say. What are okay, they guys. Are you tired of playing charades every time you have a get-together? Are you sick of the same old board games that always ask you to roll the dice and pull another silly card? Worse, are you tired of playing a game for 30 minutes only to watch your entire family devolve into a bitter screaming fight about who may or may not have cheated? Well, the happy-go-lucky folks at Conflict-A-Fun Games have found a way for you to skip right to the fight and score the most points off it with their hot new game, Draw Stuff Mom and Dad Said Drunk. Damn, kids, it's some of the worst things that ever happened to me. Is that cat real or is my foot talking to the sofa? Ha <laughs> ha, draw that, kids. Draw Stuff Mom and Dad Said Drunk has a sophisticated scoring system that will keep players on their toes as it encourages them to furiously illustrate the most painful and inappropriate statements their parents ever made to them while under the influence. You guys are just, just the last one standing because I was too lazy to go back to the clinic after I found out how to Okay, pregnant. that's probably too much for anyone to draw with a Sharpie, but the simple guidelines included in Draw Stuff Mom and Dad Said Drunk instruct players on how they can spend several weeks prior to gameplay dredging up the most painful things their parents ever said to them while drinking and printing those statements on brightly colored cards. Best yet, if your game lasts longer than 15 minutes, each player is allowed to phone our special helpline, where trained counselors are standing by to talk you down off the ledge. Draw stuff mom and dad said drunk. It's charades without the denial. Yeah. 
you're back with the Dinner Party Show. In fact, you never left the Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Sharquin. Thank you to Jim Rogers on our Facebook page who has given us the link to the Wikipedia entry for Trey Songs. Um, who is? It's a lot who of is information. shirtless in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3D. He was born in 1984. He's better known by his stage name, Trey Songs. Excuse me, I read only the second half of that sentence. Tremaine Trey Alden Neverson is an American singer, songwriter, record producer, and actor. His debut album, I Gotta Make It, was released in 2005. Okay, it's, I have not heard of him in that stretch of time. Uh, anyway, his Wikipedia entry goes on for a very long time, and I'm not going to be able to read the whole thing, but he's a babe, and... Uh, he does not, I, spoiler alert, he does not make it out of Texas Chainsaw 3D alive. So all the talk of Lionsgate turning this into a franchise when one out of three of the people that went to see this movie went to see him, maybe they're going to have to resurrect him or something. I don't know. Or he could have like an evil twin Or no, brother. they will hire the equivalent of him for next year's installment. Absolutely. Because, because they'll be, he'll be they'll replaced get the next, anyway. I, yeah, the next iteration of Justin Bieber. Absolutely. Totally. Um, okay, my Texas Chainsaw Massacre story. Let's hear it. When I was a little boy, we would spend our summers in Toole, Texas, which is outside of Dallas. My father's <laughs> side of the family was from Dallas. How's that spelled? T-O-O-L. Huh? That is how it's spelled. It is right like next the band, door. Derek. On the nose. Like the group. To okay. Gun Barrel City, right down the road from Gun Barrel City. Gun and Barrel City. Texas. Love that state. Freaked me out. On the nose state. It just freaked me out. I was a little hippie kid from California. I didn't understand it. Everybody there was very beautiful and, and sort of stoic, and I was this emotional mess, and I had a right. rat tail. And Did there really? was a video store on the a drive from Dallas to Toole, Texas, that had a poster in it for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 that I thought was one of the scariest things I had ever seen. And every time we drove that route, I would have to hide on the floor of whatever new van my aunt was driving. From the poster? And they would have to tell me when we had passed the video store. What's sad about this story is that the poster's actually pretty funny. It's the cannibal lunatics in it's the, the Breakfast Club pose. Correct. It, because the well, original Texas Chainsaw Massacre was Correct. supposed to be this assault on hippie culture. It was supposed to be about how fed up mainstream America was with the sort of road-tripping stoner hippies. And they made this sequel in the 80s. It was the assault on the Reagan yuppies, right? They were the victims of the movie. So they had the, the sort of mask-wearing killers assume the same pose as the Breakfast Club. <laughs> The, from the Breakfast Club one sheet. Right, exactly. Poster. And it was really, and everybody says that this second movie is really underrated. It's a total gore fest, and I don't usually tune in for those. So anyway, that I, I did it. I, I told my uh, Texas Chainsaw Master. For those of you story. at home, in the middle of that story, our technically savvy guest actually brought up a copy of that poster on his iPhone and held it up for us. To, so I was laughing at that, not the story. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, it, it, it is a funny story. And we have a lot of people chiming in on Facebook tonight. Other than Jim Rogers, we've got Caleb What's Hillman, your Facebook Justin Simpson. address? The Facebook.com slash The Dinner Party Show. Just saying. Excellent. All now it's time nice. for Sell another it, smell it. installment in our series Audiobook Bestsellers. And then we'll be back for the marathon interview with Jack Morrissey of Tim Get, Jack. Post your questions now. Tim Jack. Absolutely. Do a Tim, Tim Jack. <laughs> this is when the tea starts to sink in. <laughs> All right. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Derek Shaw Quinn. And now in keeping with The Dinner Party Show's commitment to celebrating literacy and the written word, we bring you an exclusive excerpt from one of this week's best-selling audiobook titles, the fantasy epic Jorgon Rising, The Tardakian Prophecy, Book 17 in the Urethromyosin Cycle started by the late beloved master of fantasy, D.N.R. Chokehold. 
This latest installment in his award-winning Perpetual series was authored by an eclectic gathering of Comic-Con attendees who consume nothing but Red Bull for three days in a row. Jorgon Tardakian, son of Urgid, ah, withdrew his steel sword from its scabbard lined in Garushian fur and hacked deliberately at the tangles of Elder Skrulian vine, which obscured his soon-to-be-expansive view of the third northeastern quadrant's border of the glittering kingdom of Surgit Tradition. He was a fat and jolly Blakna Vidya, descended proudly from a long line of beloved Japolines, who spent most of their harsh winters enjoying strong drink and great heaping platters of Dadly Upanada Snog. Had it not been for the sudden illumination of the seventeenth preserved runestone of the golden maple's frozen trunk, he would never have left his homeland of beautiful, pristine lakes and gentle, diddly wapicons. But in his family, honor was all, and so he had set out on an interminable journey which would take him at least seven more 2,000-page novels to complete. His only accompaniment since the end of the last novel had been the wisps of clouds high above the treetops and the ever-sinking yet circuitous path of the third convulsing moon of Darwal. He rifled through his zidly-skinned satchel in search of the seventeenth-preserved runestone of the golden maple's frozen trunk. This time, when his fingers closed around the stone in question, the trees about him were animated by a sudden, strange magic, their leaves and branches reshaping into characters sure to provide welcome exposition and hopefully a glossary of sorts. And even though no tree had done anything of the kind on any page of the previous 17 novels in this series, Jorgen Tardakian was sure that the fans of his incessant adventures were sure to pretend as if this scene made utter sense, going so far as to comb through his exploits for little scraps of information which could, after enough weed, be interpreted as substantial foreshadowing of this highly convenient turn of events. Speak to me, suddenly animated trees, Jorgen called to the forest, arms thrown out, the light of the Darwal's convulsing third moon filtering down through the dancing branches onto the runestone he clutched in one fist, which, if you haven't been paying attention, is the seventeenth preserved runestone of the Golden Maple's frozen trunk. But don't worry, we'll remind you of this dozens of times in the next ten chapters it will take for Jorgon to reach the glittering kingdom that only appears to be a half-day's walk away. The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. Stay for dessert. Hey, this is Jack Morrissey welcoming you back to episode 50 of Team Jack. We have neutralized the Christopher Rice problem. <laughs> so my best friend is Eric Shaw Quinn and I were talking during the uh, Olivia Newton-John song you just heard. 
about London Town. I love London. And uh, old Europe in general. Ah, uh, Europe. <laughs> to which my best friend is Eric, my best friend is Eric Shaw Quinn remarked. Europe is wonderful, but everything is this big. I'm holding my fingers very close together. 2,000 years old and broken. <laughs> it is, it Including is, their economy. Oh, my God. It drove me. Like, I realized while I was living there how what a glutton I was, how spoiled rotten I was, yeah. and how how much space we have here That's really for true. everything. That's I, really true. The, the subway sta- station uh, would break down at Knightsbridge, which is where Harrods is, right. and it would just stay broken for right. weeks at a time. Americans would be rioting in the street if you and couldn't by the get way, well, Bloomingdale's and after three days. Nothing special about that tube system either that they all love and adore, and sure, they all get around on it because they, no one can afford to own cars over there. Am but... I allowed to talk again yet? <laughs> Go for it. They look like path stations in, in Jersey City, mm. built in the 1960s. They're hideous. Mm. But well, do they some... go anywhere, unlike our L.A. subway system, which oh goes God. two Don't places? Start. Don't start, Chris. Rose. I'm starting. I'm starting. I love public transportation, but we need some here in Los Angeles. Oh, my God. Wouldn't that Speaking be great? Speaking of Europe, though, since I'm allowed to talk again, um, guess what our our international breakdown for this show? Guess what country is number two in listeners behind the United States, and it's not the United China. Kingdom. China. We got nothing from China. <laughs> They're a big blank spot in I'm our sure breakdown. We're not Brazil. allowed to be. Sweden. 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 It's probably because of the, the interminable our audio snowman. Book bestseller, the interminable snowman. Yeah. See, see how it goes. Now we're Arnold Schwarzenegger. And how, many, and how many Swedish from... listeners are we entertaining? None of your business. We're not releasing those numbers yet. We're like <laughs> Amazon.com. We're not releasing our numbers until we've cooked so them all. So secretive. He's just like a movie studio with the DVD numbers. <laughs> Absolutely. So secretive. Six million Swedes are listening to our how show. How many units have been served? But they're all listening on the same computer. So Absolutely. they only count as one. Because they Socialist. Meanwhile, uh, East Coast, all your East Coast listeners here in the United States have uh, t- turned off and tuned out as Downton Abbey has returned. It, uh, that or to the PBS Honey Boo Boo the Halloween Coast. special. Right. Honey Boo Boo. And if my mom is listening and Halloween she hears this, special. Yeah. Holiday special. Bye, no, it's They're the repeating. Halloween spe- no, they didn't do a Halloween special. Listen, everything about this show is amazing, okay? <laughs> They're doing a Halloween, Thanksgiving, and We're Christmas amazed. special over the next three weeks. These are their holiday specials, and they're okay. doing them now because nobody knows when they're going back to regular shows because, I don't know, Honey Boo Boo killed somebody on the set. Wow. I have no idea. Wow. But um, I love it. It seems very show. likely. She drowned them in a vat of mayonnaise. We, had, we exposed Eric to his first episode of Here Comes Honey Boo Boo over the holidays. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Mom is a big fan. Uh, her Facebook followers, who total almost a million, are not big fans, and they would like her to stop saying things like Lestat loves Honey Boo Boo. <laughs> Does she say that? Yeah, and, and Rand Valerorn, who I hope is listening to our show, who is a, a genius uh, Photoshop artist, did a series of Honey Boo Boo photoshopped into scenes from the Vampire Chronicle films. How great all is two that? Of them. Yeah. Uh, does moms also watch Downton Abbey? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we Mom want to says thank the listeners who are recording. Yes, right? thank you to our loyal listeners who are recording Downton Abbey. We'll absolutely. be watching it when we get home too. Right. It's a wonderful show. The debut of Shirley MacLaine. We have Michael Minch listening Can't live. Wait. Caleb Hillman, yeah. Justin Simpson. Thank you all for not watching Honey Boo Boo or Downton Abbey. And that's Abbey pretty currently. much it. It's the six of them. Absolutely. They are still listening, and everybody else. <laughs> all of our gay friends are like, they still have a radio show. Downton Abbey's on tonight. I know. Yeah. 
Yeah. Where, where, it wasn't don't you just, just that's a holiday the subject thing. Of, that's the centerpiece of real gay dinner parties coast to coast is everybody getting together around the, uh, you know, the dining room table to watch Downton Abbey and eat food that they that they regret to do in the morning. With, I'm um, sorry, real dinner parties? Are you saying this is not a real dinner party? Just because well, I've eaten all the fucking cookies. cookies? Absolutely. Yeah. Do people watch television sitting around the dinner table anymore? Gay people do. Really? Sitting or it's sitting in people's apartments in West Hollywood. Yeah, didn't I? I brought you to Barbary Lane South, here in L.A. down on Fairfax, Doug Eichler's apartment. I don't know if you did. I think I did. I don't know if you did. Because he has all of your books. He has all of your mom's books. Okay. It's an apartment. Yeah, it's just a. It's an <laughs> old. And he's no longer listening to this show. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> him. He came over and he doesn't even remember it. I was. It's nice an old and brick apartment building books. south on Fairfax <laughs> called Barbary Lane South, and I actually. I'll, also got to bring Armistead Maupin oh, there wow. as well. And they traditionally do get together and all watch, all the residents of that building um, watch, oh man, I, I'm trying to think of shows that they used and to we get have together a TV to watch. Night. We have a TV Sunny night with Will friends. And and we also have, we also have movie, but just the same. Yeah, right. And we also have the movie night that we get together for periodically. Yeah. You know, it's not every week. No, I've always said that's a very L.A. thing to do, that L.A. is a city of private parties. But when I say that, everybody thinks like private club promoter parties. I mean private parties in people's homes, TV yeah, nights. That's right. We're a very diffuse city where there's not much public contact. Or it's all so We like, we like to get together accident. in private to watch. We we do. Don't we? We sure do. <laughs> we sure do. So do we have any questions for Jack? No. <laughs> I haven't really everybody answered wants, any of your questions Everybody fully. wants to know if you know Bronson Pelletier. Oh, my God. First of all, <laughs> I, th- I believe it's Bronson Pelletier. Did you get that right? Pelletier. Or did you say Pelletier? I think I like said Pelletier. Pelt Bronson Pelletier. Pelletier yeah. was what I think Also I said. from the first Twilight movie, Cam Gigante. <gasps> Cam Gigante. I call him Gig Farfignugan because I can never I think, remember how to pronounce it. I think it. he is so hot. He's oh my hot. God, that man is beautiful. Yeah, yeah he's pretty hot. So you yeah. know, are, both are you of bouncing them? us off why we wanted to talk about Bronson? If anybody, no, he was he was uh, videotaped by a smartphone uh, urinating oh onto God. the carpet. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, in LAX. one of the terminals at. Uh, LAX, Los Angeles International Airport. Yes. And then wrestled to the ground by one of the airport security officers. My favorite moment in that video, which is fairly short and now I'm sure completely viral, um, my favorite moment in that video is the very last second when his arms are being uh, pinned behind his back and you just hear him go, uh, the sort of plaintive cry <laughs> I am of so someone thankful. who is out of his mind. I am on so whatever. thankful that my youth happened before I everybody preach, having a camera. Preach! I did. I was a wild child. In I my didn't do that. Years, but and there were no such things as camera phones, and I am so grateful. Nor was God. there any such thing as you pissing on the airport That's carpet. True. By I the way, I never either. pissed on the carpet of an airport. I think the extra awful thing in this story is that he denied that it had happened. And then the and video then came TMZ, out. TMZ. Good old DMC always can be counted on to find surfaced somebody's camera phone video, yeah. and it was it surfaced. Yeah. And I mean, it is indisputable. He's on it peeing. He, yeah. he, he, the worst part about it is the he's already been falling down. So the red vest security guard, a red jacket yeah. guy, has already approached him and is trying to say is basically breaking the news that he's not getting on the plane. Correct. Then he begins peeing. 
He begins peeing in front of the red-suited security guard. And the red-suited security guard, while he is peeing, puts his hand on his shoulder as though they are in this together. It's one of the strangest <laughs> moments. Like, really, that was your choice, dude? Like, I would, my hands would go. Oh my god, this guy is peeing. Yeah, but then that's why nobody's ever going to hire me to be a security guard. So, do Aww. we think that there's any coming back from this, or did he have plans? Coming back for what, darling? Coming back for what? Oh, for what? For right. what? What's the occasion for well, the? I think this is for the put, This puts him on the map. Like, I didn't know his name before this happened. Talk about who he is in context of the Twilight franchise, because I don't really know who... uh, This was the first time I've heard of him. He's one of the wolves or something? He is one of the wolf pack. Uh, Mm. That is correct. And hang on just one second. This is the worst of it with podcasting is when I'm desperately looking for... Oh, it's time for the desperate search. I'm desperately looking for a text (laughs) thread uh, that I got from one of the Twilight fan site ops the other day, who would probably rather remain nameless, who was uh, aghast at the tape of uh, Bronson and um, noted that he's married to, I think, a sort of famous, maybe Swedish model, even. See, I'm trying to connect Back it all to up. Sweden. He is, um, he is Jared Cosmic. of the Ooh. wolf pack of... Uh, Jerry? Jared, J A R E D, like just Jerry the Wolf, the fall on Jared from the Lapush Wolf Pack. Okay. In the Twilight Saga universe, um, and is married to. Uh, hang on, is it in here? Not anymore. Is married to. Eh, she's she's European. <laughs> I just. Oh my God. Man, come on. All right, Jack. Anyway, whatever. Dead air. Dead air. That's what we do on the show. From a reference to Eric Bogosian's talk radio. Where are the crickets? Dead air. Do we not have crickets? We don't have crickets yet, but we have a lot of children. Crickets are good. We have the uh, West Hollywood Children's Choir in the other room making noises for us on the air. We need crickets. I I think, you know. Are there any questions for Jack? There, there aren't, aren't any. Don't whisper. <laughs> there are not any questions okay. for Jack. So we're going to be. So then it's you. just going to be the things we ask. Yes. Um, we do have a lot of comments about our threads that we've been following. Uh, Michael Minch believes Honey Boo Boo is child exploitation. Jeffrey Switcher is not watching Downton Abbey, so he's not going to replace us with that show. Thank you, Jeffrey. Um, Justin Simpson, same deal. He's missed so much Downton Abbey, he couldn't get on the same page as anyone else anymore. That's what... Okay, I'm not going to encourage you to go watch Downton Abbey, but I, I, I have to say, moving on to the TV thing again, I heard about Downton Abbey and thought, oh, this is so not for me. Gosford so, Park, the television series, I, written, yeah. created by Julian Fellows, who won an Academy Award oh, for his I've never seen Gosford screenplay, Park. Gosford Park, which was like the British directed by Robert Altman. Feelings. I like I Luther on the BBC. Park. Anyway, I'd never it. seen it. So, and then I got, you, I got sick. You enjoy and I the watched notion it. of Ryan Phillippe as a young homosexual, right? Was Partnered he? with Bob Balaban, I think, right? in that movie. Correct? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Just a lovely film. But Maggie, yeah. Maggie Smith at that dinner table saying, Love "Oh, her. darling, none of us will ever see it." Was just <laughs> maybe my favorite moment in the whole film. Love her. She's so great. Yeah, she's amazing. Um, Anyway, I watched the show because I got sick with something. I can't remember. I think it was food poisoning. Encephalitis. And I, d- I had viral meningitis. And all. And the only recommended cure from I the doctor him. was that I watch um, 
television that had British people in it. And so I, <laughs> I was completely swept away by it because the writing is so amazing. Somebody finally framed it and said, this is West Wing in, in a, as a period British drama. The, the concerns huh. are that high. Right. The dialogue is that eloquent and that smart. And I, I devoured uh, two whole seasons of it in, in a few days because I had nowhere else to go. And this Via season, the DVD Shirley MacLaine... And Shirley Q. Licker, too, I heard. Shirley Q. Licker? <laughs> what? She, she does a, a guest spot on, on Downton Abbey. On their racist episode. No, there is also uh, apparently a big storyline with the gay footman who wasn't really heard from last season, so that'll be exciting. Well, his gay side oh, really? wasn't. He was very, still very prominent last season okay. managing the hospital. Absolutely. Well, given that the entire season has already aired in Britain, uh, complete with their Christmas special, uh, and the connected world being what it is, you know, we're going to lose a major character this season. <gasps> you don't know that? I don't know. I don't know. I don't tell me. As, as had been promised in previous episodes, um, and now delivered at the end of this season, somebody's going away. Something very exciting. And by the way, we should also note... What's bat shit? <laughs> fat chance, they can say. <laughs> fat chance. This is innuendo and rumor. Also, interestingly, I think, uh, well, no, I thought it was fresher news, but Julian Fellows off the success of Downton Abbey has been hired by NBC to develop a I heard drama that. set in New York City in the 1880s about the millionaires of the Gilded Age. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Which is the title of this The 400. Pilot. Yeah. The, the Titanic 1%. thing he did. The 1%. The, 1%. the Titanic thing he did kind of didn't really catch fire here, did it? Did you watch it? Julian Fellows did a Titanic, Titanic I believe, miniseries. I did not. Yeah. I'm no. going to put some more things in my mouth before we start I talking think live. I, on hey, the oh. Yeah. I watch that. Oh, well, like a bar yeah. of soap, hopefully. <laughs> 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 You're one to talk, Grinder. Are you done with Texas Chainsaw? You want to talk about Texas oh Chainsaw? No, you're the one who's obsessed with it. Stop talking about Texas okay, Chainsaw. Okay, I'm, I'm about, for anyone who is listening, I am about to completely spoil Texas Chainsaw 3D. How I'm is going that to spoil possible? the end. The end of this, the premise of this Texas Chainsaw. So now people are actually turning off the show? No, no, no. They're going to want to hear it because nobody who listens to our show is actually want to go, going to go see this None movie. None of us right. will ever see this Exactly. <laughs> Dame Eric Shaw Quinn That's for right. the win. The movie purports to be a direct sequel to the original. Okay? And so right. the premise is that there was a that the town in the original figured out what this family was doing, that they were, you know, killing and eating people and burned their house down with all of them in it, but one baby survived. Okay? <laughs> So then, Jason. and the, the, this daughter, <laughs> little asbestos, exactly, <laughs> little asbestos goes off and has a foster family of like apparently white trash crystal meth addicts that she doesn't like very much, and she gets a letter you're from her grandmother. Of, you're offending your listenership. Yeah, I'm offending. <laughs> yeah, you know if you, they aren't offended, they aren't listening. Your high desert they listenership. Got the wrong Absolutely, show. everyone gets served here at the dinner party show. <laughs> She gets a note that says you've inherited this creepy old house, and uh, but she doesn't read the note. She just she doesn't read the whole note or something like that because the rest of it says, and oh by the way, Leatherface is in the basement with a chainsaw, and you've inherited him too. Good luck. Which they read this note once she and her friends have road trip to this house. Uh -huh. Okay. 
uh, Trey Song's character sleeps with the is the heroine's boyfriend, but he sleeps with the heroine's best friend, so he's toast. So that's what happens to him. Exactly. One in three people got to see him. Yeah, he cheats. So yeah, he has to die. The premise of the movie, or the the place that it arrives at, that's all the time. Is (laughs) (laughs) and this is the spoiler. The spoiler is that. No, don't say it. No, I want it because I'll never see it. She comes. To love and sympathize with Leatherface. And she comes to see the townsfolk who killed the family and covered it up and are planning to kill her because she has learned the secret. And it ends with her getting the chainsaw, tossing it to Leatherface and saying, and I'm quoting, do your thing, cuz. So it's Hannibal. (laughs) Wow. It's Hannibal. (laughs) Right? Right, but they allude to the fact that she's screwed up because of her lineage, because she has a job in a butcher shop or something, and she's making sculptures out of animal bones in the beginning of the movie when we first meet her. Wow. So there you go. Well, I have spoiled Texas Chainsaw 3D. We have exhausted Jack Morrissey. Really? We have fed him really tons of it. cookies. I'm. It is true. I've eaten about somewhere between 15 and 20 of these delicious New Year's cookies. Thank you very much. Homemade. Glad you enjoyed them. By yes. the Thank you. <laughs> My best hoe, Absolutely. Eric Shaw Quinn. That's and me. we want to thank you for coming, and we want to make sure that you come back and so that we can talk more he's film and whatever. He's accepted the gig as our, he's I would our, love our resident expert. expert. Can Absolutely. I just note one postscript to the Texas Chainsaw? Sure. The TCM. Eight credited writers. Okay. And there you yet. go. And, and yet. yet. And yet. Well, Well, thank you all for listening. We have got another installment of our special series, Best Served Warm. But for now, we're going to say goodbye to Jack Morrissey, but we're going to ask him to stick around so we can snap a picture out in the lobby. We already snapped Oh, we already did that. So if you want to storm out in an angry huff, you're free to do that as well. (laughs) Stick around for the hugs. Thank you for being here. And the drugs. Thank you, Jack Morrissey. Full time film free. And now it's time for Best Served Warm. And now... In keeping with the Dinner Party Show's commitment to community enrichment, it's time for another in our ongoing series of public service announcements featuring the people who make the Dinner Party Show what it is. Best served warm. Hi, I'm Jordan Ampersand, and this is Best Served Warm. Some people will tell you that all drugs are bad. Fortunately for everyone cool, this just isn't true. If, like me, you are looking to chemicals to enhance your evening, night, later night, or early morning hours, or all four in a row really quickly, there's some easy guidelines you can follow to keep from turning into Lindsay Lohan. If you are offered something that looks like white powder, ask the person doing the offering if the drug was made in a trailer by someone who looks like your really fugly cousin who ruined your other cousin's wedding. If he says no, then it's cocaine and you're good to go. If you are offered a photo tube full of brightly colored Pez candy by someone hot, don't eat it. It's not Pez candy and they will find you three days later in a stairwell somewhere chewing your own toenails off. This didn't happen to me. I'm just saying it's not fucking Pez candy, okay? And now I'm sure some of you are asking, what about weed? It's almost legal now. I know. It's almost legal because like all things that are legal and stupid, it makes you sit still. Why not just go to the movies so you can be in the dark with the other not hot, not fun people? So there you go, hookers. Don't let the propaganda fool you. A judicious use of illegal drugs is the perfect way for a hot, cool person to replace their inner self with an inner soundtrack. 
I'm Jordan Ampersand, and this is Best Served Warm. Well, this has been another fabulous comeback edition of the Dinner Absolutely. Party Show. Absolutely. First show of 2013 in the right. can. We're off and running. We want to thank everyone who's recording Downton Abbey and listening to and us the live. the Boo Boo Halloween special. Right, yeah. You keep bringing it. There's mm-hmm. a lot of fun TV. Our friend Catherine Linas' new show. I'm sure there are other people on the show, too. Terry Garber's pretty good. Mm. Terry Garber? I don't know who that is. Am I calling who, the right name? Terry Garber? Yeah, I, I think I've made up a new name for one or the other. But Catherine Linas' new show. Um, Deception. De- Deception which we've both seen. You can, if you want to spoil it for yourself, it's already available for free on iTunes, but it premieres live tomorrow night. Absolutely. And we are free on iTunes. We encourage people to subscribe to us because those numbers really count and they will allow us to bring you the show for free. But we should also say when we ask you to subscribe that our subscriptions are free. So it's a free way of keeping the show free. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. And next week we will be joined by Ted Johnson, who is a writer at Variety, who operates the Wilshire and Washington blog, which talks about the intersection of film and politics. Can't wait for that. He Love will Ted. Be, and he's become a Tolucan now, so absolutely. I would hardly ever see him. Absolutely. He doesn't come on this side of the hill as much as he should. This has been another wonderful episode. Thank you all for joining us on the Facebook page. Justin Simpson, Buffy Peterson, Michael Minch, Christina, Lassiter Davis, it just the, the Billy Bangs. I know I'm leaving some of you out, but we hope you'll join us again for our next live show next Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you have just enjoyed the dinner party show.